Mealtime inspiration. It's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week. You can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. back for another special edition of the Michael Deacon program. I'm pleased to see all of you here this evening and I apologize for the wait and the delay there. Boys and girls, uh, technology is never on our side. And of course today I'll be joined by a very special guest. Mr. Michael Cremo is here, the author of numerous books including Forbidden Archaeology, The Hidden History of the Human Race, Cremo is internationally recognized for his research and lectures on the suppression of archaeological evidence for a much, much older humanity. And he is on the line right now. Let's bring him right on in. Mr. Cremo, how are you, sir? Pretty good. You're another Michael. Yes, sir. As you know. (laughs) Oh, yes. And uh, Michael, you know, I'm so glad you're here. We've done this so many times in the past before and you know it's been about three four years perhaps since the last time you were here seems like it doesn't it it really does yeah time has um flown by as it as it does and uh, michael again it's always a honor and pleasure to have you here on the program i hope you're doing well out there wherever you are i'm in los angeles not far from me and oh you're on the west coast also that's right oh yeah 
Yeah. Yeah, so it's been pleasant weather. Somehow all my health things are in order. and uh, Good. Very good. I'm glad you're okay and doing well. And yes, the weather has been kind of cold out here in these parts. So uh, yeah, I'm hoping you're covered up. What we call cold. Yeah, exactly. What we called cold. Um, the other, you know, the rest of the, the East Coast out there, the rest of the world, the rest of um, the nation here, you know, they uh, they laugh at us. What we consider cold is just another day in the park to them. Yeah. Yeah, th- this is... I mean, really, you know, the weather here would be like a nice spring day in <laughs> other places. Pretty much. It's pretty wild. And, uh, Michael, you know, I don't really need to do the whole introduction with you here on this program. Everyone already knows who you are. And, uh, Mr. Cremo, you know, I hate to start things off this way with you, but I did want to mention uh, a a, um, documentary that uh, was released on Netflix with uh, Graham Hancock. I'm not sure if you watched that yet. I haven't haven't seen it yet, but I've uh, seen some of Graham's posts about the reaction to it. Right. It hasn't really been a good reaction uh, at all. It seems like a lot of people are calling him names and they're accusing him of being a racist, which I think is absurd. Well, yes, I, I, I think it is. But uh, that, that's why I call my topic forbidden archaeology. And it has a wider meaning beyond my work. People have kind of adopted the term. You know, I've seen forbidden archaeology websites and forbidden archaeology conferences and things like that. You know, the title. So I, I would include all of the research that's going on in different fields of alternative history and alternative archaeology as part of that topic. And uh, if something is forbidden, it's because it's perceived as dangerous somehow by whatever powers might be right. whose interests are threatened. And you know, I, I think probably uh, a reason why this kind of work, whether it's Graham Hancock's or mine or Robert Shock's or John Anthony West or anyone else who's Hugh Newman, so many people, right. Brian Forrester, they are operating in this field, and I think we probably all have similar experiences. Um, you know, there, there's all different kinds of power in the world. You know, there's political power, there's economic power, there's military power, there's all kinds of power. There's also intellectual power, which is a very subtle power, but nevertheless, it is it, 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 it is very powerful. And what those who possess it have the ability to do is define our sense of identity, you know, who we are, 
Uh, and basically, they're giving us answers of the kind, well, you're a machine made of molecules, basically in competition with others for survival. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, th that kind of keeps people in their place. You know, if you define a person's identity for him or her, then they have to, they naturally act according to that sense of identity. And, you know, you get a whole political, economic, and social, and religious institutions and organizations set up on that basis. And if someone disturbs that, yeah, then those who have the positions of intellectual authority and power in society don't like it very much. Oh, my. I was uh, having lots of uh, difficulty here. I'm not sure what just happened. That was uh, rather bizarre. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not quite sure what the hell just happened there. Uh, it seems like I was cut off somehow. That was uh, weird. That was a little paranormal there. No clue what just happened there. Um boys and girls but i will try to get a hold of uh, michael cremo he must have freaked out uh, like anyone would um you know normally freak out when someone is being interviewed and then um they go away so i don't blame him for uh being a little worried there i was a little worried there too i got uh freaked out but we'll um call him back here in a moment um boys and girls my god see this is what happens folks you never know what's gonna happen uh, you never know what's going to happen when you're doing a live show, and uh, this is a great example of just that. I know Michael must have been uh, freaking out there. N now he's calling me back. Let's see what he has to say for himself. Mr. Cremo, how are you? I apologize. I have no idea um, what just happened there. Yeah, yeah. I realized at a certain point that you weren't there. Oh, my goodness, I am so sorry. Yeah, so I... Oh, yeah, so, Mr. Cremo, um, again, I apologize for that. I don't know what the hell happened. Uh, I'm just glad to be alive. Yeah. So, we were talking about the reactions to yes. the Netflix. The very wild reactions um, that people had. And, of course, I didn't really think... I think it was um, really that controversial whatsoever. These are things that you have personally talked about uh, many, many moons ago, way before this. And um, we'll, we'll get into that in a moment here. Um, but when you hear things like that, does that at all shock you at all that mainstream media is, is having this sort of reaction all these years later? Well, I, I think it's basically a losing battle for them. You know, but um, it's like they they have this idea that they are the gatekeepers for what kinds of knowledge and information people get through through media. But I guess social media has kind of broken this down somewhat. You know, there, there are just so many channels yeah. through which people can get information these days. And yeah. uh, they're all looking for content. And if they can 
get some contact bullets. That's good. But, I mean, maybe 20 or 30 years ago, it would be easier for them to control things. But it's not so easy these days. Right. It, it definitely isn't very easy anymore to sort of suppress all this information. And, of course, it happened with you very on, uh, very early on in your career um, as well, this sort of reaction, you know, going all the way back to 1996 uh, when you first appeared on the NBC special, The Mysterious Origins of Man. Yeah, I think Graham was also on that uh, program. I think Some he might have been. Other... Yeah alternative. So I, I think we're all kind of used to it. And the tactic that uh, the gatekeepers, let's call them, usually employ is to ignore something, don't give it any publicity, you know, because by critiquing it, you know, you're calling more attention to it. So it's... Uh, uh, and I, I think... Yeah, just judging from the reactions I've seen to that other program, I think it's uh, possible that this kind of negative publicity is just going to attract more and more attention to these alternative ideas. So it's... uh, It's par par for the course. Uh, Eventually, you know, this was going to happen. And I'm sure Mr. Hancock and yourself are more than um, used to this sort of thing, uh, the media having this sort of view. Yeah. Um, I think it comes down to the fact that it would be nice to live in a time and a place where one's personal convictions are shared by everyone in the society in which one lives and all the different elites and and centers of power and influence were favorable to these ideas. We often don't have that luxury, you know, and and sometimes uh, one has to express, I mean, one, one has a choice. One can either remain silent or go with the flow, or or one can take uh, a little bit of a stand and say, this is, this is my conviction about the history of this planet or the history of this species or nation or whatever. And uh, why would one do that? It's especially publicly, because yeah, everyone right. can have their own private beliefs. But to express it publicly, I think it's because one has, in addition to one's conviction, the belief that this knowledge is beneficial for people. It's good for people to know. So uh, everyone has to decide you know, what they're uh, going to do in terms of their personal convictions if they have to be if they happen to be different than those of the surrounding society and its power centers and elites 
And Mr. Cremo, just let me ask you, you know, after all these years of um, research that you've done, um, what keeps you uh, motivated to keep going on with your research? Well, one thing leads to another. I've always been sort of intuitive looking for what steps uh, are being put before me. And I just keep taking those steps and the journey continues. And it's uh, something I very much appreciate and value and enjoy is to be on that journey. Because I I would say, even as a, a very young child, I was always interested in some certain values and ideas. You say they're my core principles, even from childhood. And one of them is wanting to know the real state of things. Now, what's what's actually the, the truth? So I've always pursued that, and you know, I'm still doing that. And I started out with archaeology, you know, because I was interested in the question of human origins, you know, being a member of the human species, you know, I kind of wondered about my ancestry, where did I come from? You know, people uh, wonder about those things, Right. you know, what what is my heritage, you know, there's television shows on ideas about that, you know, guiding people through their genealogy, who their ancestors were, and what they did and when they lived. And most people find it valuable to know things like that. Yeah. So I want to know what's, well, what's my heritage? What's, what's my ancestry as uh, a human being? Now, necessarily, I, of course, I was also interested in, you know, my unique family history, but uh, I was also interested in, the origin of the form of life that I, I'm in, the human form of life. So that led me into looking at archaeology because that's the science of human origins. And when I looked into that, it was basically pretty materialistic in the sense that most scientists studying human origins would say, well, you're uh, an evolved ape. You're a machine made of molecules. You know, your, your, your essence is purely material. And uh, basically, you're an accident in the evolutionary process. You know, yes. We have DNA and it gets mutated and your offspring will be a little bit different than you are, and you, know, you add this up, and, and uh, you find that humans like us first appeared less than 300,000 years ago on this planet. But when I started looking into it, I started finding reports by scientists that show we've existed for far longer than 300,000 years, we've existed for 
tens of millions, even hundreds of millions of years, going back to the very beginnings of the history of life on Earth. And that means, well, we need new explanations for human origins. And I think those are going to involve principles that go beyond ordinary matter to things like consciousness. Nobody has explained how consciousness can arise from matter, although they say it did. You know, but I, I think consciousness has its own independent existence, and that's what we really are. You know, the bodies that we now occupy are like vehicles for a an eternal conscious self to maneuver in and occupy and drive around on this level of reality, but this level of reality that we're in now, the world of matter, isn't the total reality. There are other levels of reality that can only be approached by developing the resources that are there within our consciousness. So uh, one thing leads to another. You know, I kind of started out with the stones and the bones of forbidden archaeology and then moved on to these other topics as well. Right, right. And uh, early on, what exactly was it about um, the Vedic texts that uh, drew you in? What was it about India that uh, had you fascinated? Well, um, there are a couple ways that I think about that. One is in terms of reincarnation. You know, um, so I think I must have had some contact with that place and the disciplines of yoga and meditation and study of the Vedic texts, uh, like the Puranas and the Upanishads and the Bhagavad Gita and others. So in this life, when I encountered them again, I was attracted to them. Yeah, because I had some previous contact with it. That, that's one way that I look at it. Uh, leaving that aside, you know, I grew up in a military family. My father was uh, an intelligence officer in the United States Air Force. And you know, that meant something for me as I was sure, yeah. growing up. Because one thing it meant is, you know, you traveled around a lot. United States, other countries, <clears throat> got exposed to a lot of different worldviews and cultures, and among them was the Indian spiritual culture, which really uh, attracted me. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's how I got involved in the text. And that's where I got this idea of extreme human antiquity, because these texts, and not just the Vedic text of India, but if you look at the Egyptian text, Sumerian text, you know, the, the literatures of many of the world's great wisdom traditions, they all have this idea that humans like us have existed since the beginning of the history of life on Earth. Uh, uh, so that's uh, that's how I got. That's what drew attracted. you in. Yeah, that's that's what drew you in essentially. 
and uh, I don't blame you. I, I don't blame you at all. Uh, many people, well, yeah, many people are attracted to the Veda Bumi, as um, they call it, the land of knowledge. They say. Yeah, it's uh, well, it's kind of interesting. The you know among the ancient civilizations, the culture of India has kind of persisted for thousands and thousands of years. Like, you know, the Egyptians were there with, you know, the pharaohs and their whole concept, their whole cosmology and idea, which was the basis of the pyramids and everything like that. But that culture, you know, from the pyramid times is no longer present. There is no vestige of it. Same with many of the other uh, ancient civilizations. But although in India you can find different layers of technology and modern life and networked all over the place, some of the basic fundamental styles of life that go on in the villages is like it was thousands of years ago. They preserved the literatures, the uh, the culture, the rituals, the systems of yoga and meditation and things of that sort. And Mr. Cremo, so, um, uh, Mr. Cremo, do you still meditate? Uh, yes, I. I meditate on the Hare Krishna mantra for at least a couple hours a day. Okay, wow. Yeah, you're still going mm-hmm. very hard um, with that. I, I love that, by the way. I'm glad you're still a practitioner. Well, the, it's all a part of yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word. It means to connect two things. Yeah, to connect uh, the individual soul with the supreme soul, right. the, uh, the material with the spiritual. The, and so it's a whole system. And uh, the particular type of yoga that I practice is called bhakti yoga, the yoga of devotion. And, and it means, one thing it means is meditation. So that's one thing. You know, but another thing it means is taking whatever talent or ability that you have, in my case, writing and speaking and things, doing research and things like that, and connect it through yoga with the divine. So you could say my whole life is a meditation. Which most people have um, trouble doing. In uh, today's world, they don't have a quiet space or any time uh, to spend meditating, which is unfortunate since meditation is rather important, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, there are different systems of meditation, contemplation, prayer, and different spiritual traditions whether we're talking about Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or uh, whatever. Most uh, spiritual communities or lineages have what you might call an exoteric aspect to them and a more esoteric aspect. And 
the external or exoteric aspect usually includes you know, having some kind of place to worship and gather and perform ceremonies and rituals at, at various important junctures of life and things like that. The more esoteric side usually involves uh, some withdrawal from society in the sense that you know Christian monks might go live in a monastery and pray and study the Bible and live lives of simplicity and charity and like that. Or, you know, Buddhist monks may do it, others so. Um, but I think anyone can start, you know, to give a little attention to these things if they... they they want to, not saying, you know, which tradition right. to identify yeah. with. That's up to each individual what they uh, want to do. But I would say all these different traditions have some something to offer. Absolutely. Absolutely. And another thing I wanted to ask you was one of the things that first drew me in about the culture the indian culture was uh vimanas yeah they're fascinating aren't they vimanas are the vedic well they're the flying craft right um, mentioned in in the vedic literature and they're actually quite detailed descriptions of them um my forbidden archaeology co-author richard thompson wrote uh, a book about and demonos and extraterrestrials, comparing the statements from the Vedic literature, which was written thousands and thousands of years ago, and modern UFO alien type of research. And there were so many parallels where they're talking about the exact same things. And most of these UFO researchers and extraterrestrial contactees, they're not aware of the Vedic literature. And, you know, of course, thousands and thousands of years ago, the people who composed these texts, giving elaborate descriptions of, of uh, flying vehicles that could travel from planet to planet yeah. through space, or do amazing things in the atmosphere of the earth where uh, they didn't have any they existed a long long time ago and had no contact with these modern researchers so why should their accounts be so similar uh, I think that's because they're both observing the same the same type of phenomena you know, so it's the kind of like independent witnesses that whose descriptions corroborate each other. So, yeah, it's it's rather wild once you do read some of these uh, texts that depict these flying crafts in stunning detail. It makes you think, and you know, it makes you contemplate what exactly the ancients were experiencing. What were these things? Were they, were these real crafts? 
And I would say, yeah, I would say they definitely saw something going on for sure, that there were these battles in the sky that were also depicted. And, um, yeah. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, well, like, there was one example from a, a book called the Bhagavad Purana or Srimad Bhagavatam, sometimes it's called. It was written 5,000 years ago, but it has a description of uh, a Vimana, a, a craft that attacked a city here on Earth. And this Vimana was piloted by a, a, a person called Shalva, and he had gotten this Vimana or spacecraft from a personality who was known as the engineer of the demoniac forces in the universe, the forces of darkness, we could say. And they attacked the city, and the, the descriptions of the attack are really interesting because they appear to have been using uh, energy beam weapons. And the defenders of the city were also using weapons that resembled modern anti-missile or anti-aircraft uh, weapons. Right. And, and then as part of the battle, it's the Shalva used the technology of this craft that was hovering over the city in India called Dwarka. And uh, he was able to manifest three-dimensional holographic images of personalities, soldiers, whatever, to kind of bewilder the defenders. And it's described that this aircraft, this Vimana, had some kind of shielding technology that allowed it to become invisible. You know, like we have our stealth uh, aircraft these days and our Air Force yes. that can penetrate you know, some other country's airspace undetected by its radar and things like that. So mm. apparently that's nothing new. It's been around right. for thousands of years. And, of course, mainstream and, uh, science dismisses all of these claims. Yeah. So... It's like you say, it is a fascinating topic. Oh, yeah. Manos. It's a rather fascinating topic. And uh, for those more uh, interested in the subject, definitely go look up uh, some work there by uh, all kinds of people. I've talked about Vimanas for the longest time. And of course, um, another thing that uh, we talk about all the time, Mr. Cremo, and of course you do too, is the fact that human civilization, human origins are much, much older than what mainstream science has been teaching us since forever. Yeah, well, like I said, according to them, human, the human form of life is just an accident of evolution. You know, they say uh, in the beginning there was no life whatsoever on Earth you know, a few billion years ago. And they would say that chemicals combined to produce some first living thing. Exactly how that happened, they can't say. There's no set 
consensus in the world of science how that happened. They're just convinced it happened. And then yeah. somehow the single-celled creatures start grouping together to form colonies and eventually multicellular cellular organisms like simple plants, seaweeds, fish, and then those plants and fish and other types of sea creatures, gradually somehow they migrate to the land and then they develop into other forms and then maybe about 40 or 50 million years ago you get apes and monkeys and about six or seven million years ago you get uh, upright walking kind of ape-like creatures, ape men we call them today. And then finally, about 300,000 years ago, humans like us appear. And if you ran that tape of evolution again, it's not very likely that you'd get it. So they would just say we're a cosmic accident of evolution by natural selection and random mutations. So I don't really see it like that. You don't believe in that? I think. I think the universe actually has a purpose, and the universe is consciousness-based, not not matter-based. The purpose of life in this universe is to qualify oneself as a being of pure consciousness and be able to migrate to a plane of existence that is beyond the kind of cycles of creation and destruction that go on on the material level of reality and that those cycles of uh, creation and destruction are experienced on different levels. They're experienced on the level of the individual in a particular body at this time. Like I'm in a human body right now It came into existence many decades ago, and it's at some some point in the not too distant future, it's going to cease functioning, and the conscious self that I am will move to another material bodily vehicle. Yeah. So, and there are many different kinds: plant bodies, animal bodies, insect bodies, fish bodies. There are all kinds of bodies. The human form of life is special because it is in that this human form of life that we have the intelligence and ability to understand what our position is and to try to educate ourselves, qualify ourselves to get out of that whole cycle of taking one material body after another and what the Buddhists call samsara, you know, cycle of birth and death. So that's the real purpose you know, for the universe. It's, our, it's like our school where we have a chance to educate ourselves on what our real identity is beyond the particular bodily vehicle that we inhabit at the present moment. Right. There is so, something, yeah, there is something special about us, no doubt. Yeah. And so to me, it's 
since I accept that the universe has a purpose and that that purpose is fulfilled best in the human form of life, that the human form of life should be around from the beginning. Of course, if you believe that the whole universe is just some cosmic accident, some fluctuation of some quantum energy field, and that the human form is just an accident of evolution so that we're accidental creatures in an accidental universe, well, that's going to seem very strange. Yeah. But uh, one has to accept the results of whatever choices one makes about how to see the world and how to see one's place in it. So, uh, and everyone has free will. Let me ask yeah. you. Um, let me ask you this, Mr. Cremo. Do you believe that we um, were genetically engineered, that we were modified? Uh, yes, maybe not in the exact sense that some of the researchers who are uh, currently expressing such ideas accept. But yeah, I, I do think our our forms are the result of some intelligence operating on some higher level of reality having something to do with the kinds with the origin of the kinds of bodies that we have they're like vehicles um, so in many many cases uh, researchers accept the basic outline of the materialistic evolution theories, which have humans like us appearing about 300,000 years ago or no less than that. And they tend to say evolution went on according to the standard type until about 400,000 years ago, around the time that scientists think that Homo erectus existed. And uh, some of these researchers propose that extraterrestrial beings, not of any divine type, but just ordinary biological beings from some other part of the solar system or the universe or the galaxy, came here and for the purpose of developing, uh, and sometimes it's described as uh, searching for gold and mining yeah. gold and things like that, that uh, these extraterrestrial beings manipulated the, the genome of the Homo erectus type creatures that were around at that time and turn them into modern human beings and kind of use them as slaves to work the gold mines and refine the gold and things like that. I mean, that's one version. And I, I accept in principle the idea that, yes, intelligent beings from elsewhere beyond this terrestrial level, this terrestrial Earth planet, or I would prefer to say terrestrial level of reality, they manipulated the, the genome to produce human beings. 
So I would say, yeah, I, I accept the principle that some beings off this planet came here. They have something to do with the and they manipulated things however they did it. Yeah, this is a notion that, that I... Way, engineered, engineered yes. the, the human form. The difference I would have is that I accept there are different kinds of extraterrestrial beings. You know, there are some from the gross level of matter, which is where we are now. There are beings from more subtle material realms that people in different cultures have known by the name angels, gods, demigods, demigoddesses, um, genes, you know, there are all different kinds of names for them in different cultures. And then beyond that is what I call the level of pure consciousness, and there are beings at that level, so any of them could come and visit our planet. Other uh, beings from other planets on the level of gross matter, more subtle beings from uh, that level of reality, and uh, purely beings of pure consciousness, or spirit, if you prefer that word, come down from their level of reality, and they have something to do with our presence here. So, and I guess, so I accept a lot of the principles that those researchers are working with, but I would apply them a little differently to say that the intervention took place at the beginning of the history of life on Earth, that the beings, yes, they're extraterrestrial, they're intelligent, but they might not be flesh and blood types of creatures similar to us on the terrestrial level of reality, but just from another planet on this level, or they may have been these more subtle beings, or they may have been the purely spiritual beings. So, Right. Well, I definitely do subscribe to that uh, notion or theory that um, we pretty much were probably helped along the way uh, genetically, for sure. I mean, it's hard to imagine human beings as we are today, uh, knowing that you know most humans out there they're they're not the smartest or the brightest. Um, so it, it's hard to imagine that even back then there were there were so many um, people out there at one time, uh, so many different civilizations that came before us that had all this vast knowledge and most likely advanced technology that uh, we suppress, that's been suppressed rather. It, again, it's just difficult to imagine that um, we just sort of evolved and basically had all this knowledge already, in a, in, in a sense. Yeah, there's some pretty amazing things going on today. But in one sense, I think many of our technologies that we use today or that people use today are attempts by us to replicate abilities people may have had uh, naturally and maybe still do possess naturally, like the ability to see things at a distance. You know, there's something called remote viewing. Sure. 
that certain people they have the ability to detect you know what's going on at a great distance maybe halfway around the world and there are researchers who do experiments with people in remote viewing and they demonstrate it's something that we all have but um well, I'm glad you, well, Mr. Cremo. I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned that because this is, this is what I mean by the fact that you know we were sort of, um, our our DNA, our our our, our um, essence basically was altered, and given these sort of abilities that you speak of. Yeah, we have to be given them. You know, we don't manufacture them ourselves, so. Um, and you know, even there's documented evidence that you know, the, for decades, the intelligence services of different countries, including our own, have made use of these powers like remote viewing to try to get an edge over their right, yes. competitors. Uh, but uh, the point I was really trying to make was that uh, our, say like our smartphone technology where you can see, you know, on your videos that run on your smartphone, things that are happening on the other side of the world, you know, you can, you know, our, our uh, that technology is replicating an ability that people naturally have and could, used even to a greater extent than they are now. But it's that that kind of activity is now being channeled through this technology, which is manufactured by corporations to extract money. Yeah, money, data, information on all of us, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's... uh, yeah that's the, life. yeah, that's the conundrum that we all face. Um, this great technology that we have is always used against us, unfortunately. Yeah, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I, I, I hate the fact that um, public schools and uh, private schools, they never really teach you anything of any significance in terms of our human history. And it's a tragedy. It's it's sad that uh, we don't learn really anything. I mean, I think they're still teaching kids today about uh, Columbus uh, discovering America. Yeah, I guess that was news to all the people that were here. Well, they probably didn't call it America, the original inhabitants. I think they call it something like Turtle Island. I believe um, what I had... um learned a long time ago was uh, the Chinese were here first. Oh, you mean from other parts of the world sure. coming here? Because yes. there were people here. Absolutely. When the Chinese, the you know, Native American peoples, they were around. They had right. their own civilizations. They had the Mayans and the Aztecs and the Mound Builders and Inca and South America. Yeah. They had highly developed civilizations in terms of architecture and communications and things like that. Right, right. And uh, 
Mr. Cremo, you know, I, I don't want to go back to what we were just talking about here with our friend, Mr. Graham Hancock. But, you know, a part of me, when I first saw that documentary, I was hoping it, it would have been you, not um, our friend Graham Hancock on Netflix. You know, I wanted it to be you. So th that was a bit of a, a bit of a shocker for me. I thought, why not Mr. Cremo instead? Uh, I believe you, um, I believe you have enough credibility and you've been around just as long as um, Graham Hancock as well. Speaking about the, the same things, basically. Well, you know, alternative history is a big field and there's lots of different areas. Graham kind of works on what I would call the more recent end of the time spectrum in the past 50,000, 100,000 years or so, maybe, maybe a little bit more, whereas I'm dealing with the more deep time. And, and you know, I've over the years had offers from different television producers to try to do things, and I've tried to work with them. The, the difficulty is that I found is that it's difficult to acquire imagery, you know, exciting imagery about the kinds of evidence that I talk about, which generally take the form of anomalously old stone tools, uh, human bones, and things like that that are kind of fragmentary. And getting the imagery for them is sometimes expensive. And, oh, yeah. You know, it hasn't really come to fruition at, at this point. But um, mm. uh, so that's, I mean, it's easier to get imagery of the pyramids than to go into a museum and try to get permission to explore the storerooms. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, you were mentioning that uh, show, The Mysterious Origins of Man, that I was on some years ago. Yeah, back in 1996, I believe, is when that first appeared on NBC. And that was actually my introduction to you way back then, Mr. Cremo. Yeah. So at that time, we tried to get uh, permission for well, the, the producer of, of the documentary on my advice tried to get permission to see artifacts in this museum that were uh, according to the scientific reports millions of years old but uh, they wouldn't give him permission to go in and and uh, Film them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so you 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 run into things like that. Yeah. There's there's always well. trouble for sure. There's always a block in the way. And speaking of that, um, what do you think and uh, feel about uh, another individual out there by the name of Mr. Zahi Hawass? Um, you know, I don't know if he still is, but he was kind of like the director of antiquities. For, yeah, he's still around, actually. Yeah. He, yeah, I've seen him in some documentaries about Egypt recently. Uh, um, of course, I'm not 
an Egyptologist myself, and I haven't focused very much on Egypt in my work. It's kind of, like I said, at the more recent end of the spectrum. Yeah. And I'm kind of dealing with other stuff. Right. I, I just never have uh, heard you uh, mention Zahi Hawass um, at any time, so I thought, you know, I might as well mention him to you here. Yeah. I, I know that for researchers who want to go into the pyramids or the Sphinx, they had to go through him. Right. So he was kind of like the gatekeeper. And I, I, you know, of course, I'm interested in all the topics related to archaeology, but I've got my specific area right, that I right. focus on. But um, I had just heard or read or, or seen descriptions that sometimes he's less than cooperative and sometimes yeah. he's more willing to let them do what they have to do. Yeah, so, for, yeah, uh, it, it's it's a strange uh, case where someone has so much power like that uh, to prevent you from being able to do what you need to do. Uh, but unfortunately, that's what happens. Like the Smithsonian, that's another example. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like uh, in the first uh, Indiana Jones movie, I think they had at the, the end of that, you know, visit to some museum. I think it was the Smithsonian where they had all this stuff in their storerooms, you know, different artifacts and sacred objects and things like that. So, yeah, I mean, I've had my own experiences like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, where... I've gotten access to museums where artifacts are stored that most people don't know about and which aren't displayed to the to the public. So that that kind of thing does go on. Uh, yeah, it's happened a lot. Sense, mm -hmm. In one sense, the science. This is all part of what I call knowledge filtration. Ah, uh, yes. Let's say you have these gatekeepers who are responsible. They've got custody of these things. And in one sense, many of them, they don't think they're doing anything wrong. They're just uh, thinking, well, I'm just being a responsible public servant, a responsible scientist. I went to the university and worked very hard for many years, got my bachelor's degree and master's degree and doctoral degree in archaeology. And I kind of gone through the profession and I got a post here at this museum and I'm in charge of this collection and that collection. And of course we don't display everything to the public. You can only display the part of what you have and Yes, it's likely that these artifacts in this storeroom were never going to display because they, they've been discredited. You know, people, authorities in our field have said these are to be taken very seriously. And uh, they just think, I'm being a responsible member of my profession. You know, it's not like some conspiracy, right? 
you know, it was like conspiracy theorists, you know, like, you know, you're dreaming. But the effect of it is the same, whether it's a deliberate cover-up or whether it's just, you know, the person in charge just thinking, well, I'm just doing what I've been professionally trained to do. But the effect is the same. Right. A conspiracy, and I do think there are sometimes some conspiratorial things that go on. I'm not denying that, but in every case, it may not be like that. I don't know exactly. You know, the, the scientists might say, "I don't know exactly what's wrong with these things," but you know, I'm sure if I spoke to my colleague down the hall, who's an expert, he could fill me in with more of the details and refer me to the appropriate literature. But uh, yeah, so they 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 don't think that anything fishy is going on. So, uh, but like I said, the effect is the same. Yeah, we don't get the complete set of facts that we need to make a a really proper decision about what the actual story really was. Yes, it's 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 quite fascinating. Not in the sense where, you know, um well let let me rephrase that. I, I shouldn't say that. I, I should say that with um institutional archaeology so biased against alternative points of view, you know, I find it um I find it um rather interesting that, you know, you yourself have uh, still been able to sort of um, have a good career, I guess, I guess you can say, with, with this. Well, there are some, you know, all archaeologists aren't uh, close-minded. And Luckily, yeah. Narrowly focused on their discipline. There are many of them uh, who understand that there are different ways of looking at the past, the modern scientific materialist physicalist method is one, but it's not the only one. And they're prepared to recognize, you know, for example, well, there may be an Australian Aboriginal archaeology, uh, an American Native American Indian archaeology, you know, that would recognize, for example, the presence of human beings in North America before Columbus, you know, it's like, but, uh, or there may be a Vedic archaeology, you know, based on the concept of cyclical time and extreme human antiquity and a non-material aspect to it. So, so there are many archaeologists in, in that category, uh, and Maybe it's uh, because of that that I've been able to present so many papers at meetings of major international archaeological organizations like the World Archaeological Congress or the European Association of Archaeologists. So it's uh, uh, that other element that you talk about is definitely there definitely very influential, but there, there is, I would say, a, a large group of this other kind of archaeologists who 
may not agree with me, but they think, well, this is our perspective and that, that should be heard and listened to, and people can make up their minds about it. The other group, they want to exclude it completely. They yeah. don't want to hear it. They don't want anyone else to hear it. That's too bad. So that element is definitely there, but it's it's not monolithic. It's not that all archaeologists are like that. A good number are at least willing to listen to some alternative perspective. And, and I think that's the important first step, because if minds are going to change, the first step is to be able to listen to some other idea. Right, some other alternatives, no doubt. Well, I'm glad to hear that there are some um, individuals out there, archaeologists, that are open-minded to a few things. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted to bring this up to you earlier, but uh, do dinosaurs still predate all the evidence of humans, by the way, Mr. Cremo? Um, well, it, it depends. If, if It depends what one accepts as evidence. Yeah, if we accept only the evidence that's recognized by the modern scientific world, then you'd have to say, well, there's no evidence that humans existed at the time of the dinosaurs. According to the standard views, the dinosaurs went extinct 65 million years ago when a big asteroid struck the Earth, and the environmental effects of that wiped out the dinosaurs. According to the modern ideas, humans, like us, only came into existence 300,000 years ago or less. So uh, the, if you just confine yourself to the evidence accepted by modern science, you know, the answer to the question is no. But if we look at other evidence, like the evidence from ancient wisdom traditions and even archaeological evidence, <clears throat> you, you, you do find evidence suggesting that humans existed after the time of the dinosaurs, before the time of the dinosaurs, and during the time of the dinosaurs. Right. Yes, it's um, rather interesting. I mean, in Peru, in the city of Peru, in the city of Inca, you know, they discovered these stones that depict man and dinosaurs um, interacting with each other, coexisting with each other. Um, do you believe that to um, be legit? These stones, rather, do you think the Inca stones are legit, Mr. Cremo, or do you think it's all a hoax? Well, the Inca stones are very interesting. Like you said, they're ground stones or oval stones with elaborate carvings on them, some of them showing dinosaurs and humans existing together. The discoverer of them, Dr. Cabrera, he, he said he found them in Cretaceous formations. So the Cretaceous period is the geological period that uh, 
marks the end of the presence of the dinosaurs. You know, it goes from, you know, it includes that 65 million year extinction date. So, so that's there. Uh, and, you know, it occurred at the boundary of that, you know, the more recent end of that age. So, uh, so they they would uh, scientists today wouldn't accept the uh, ecostone. Oh, not at all. Genuine. Yeah, yeah. They say, well, there are just some people in the village. They know that people are interested in these things. They'll pay money for them, and they they uh, they make them. They manufacture them. Now the problem was. Dr. Cabrera wouldn't reveal the exact places where these things came from. And he said he excavated them. But uh, you know, because he wasn't able to, uh, to uh, show other scientists the exact places where he found them. It couldn't really be easily corroborated. I mean, personally, I think humans did exist at the time of the dinosaurs. But if I try to persuade somebody of that, it would be good to have evidence that could be more easily corroborated. Sure, yes. Yeah, it's a very interesting discovery, and um, it's still something that's debated to this very day. This is why I mention it to you. People still talk about this, but, you know, others throw it out the window. Yeah, I, I think it deserves to be further studied to see if anybody can come up with finding one in situ in uh, a Cretaceous formation. By in situ, I mean in place, solidly embedded in in a Cretaceous aged rock. In other words, rock you know, at least sixty five million years old. And you know, if that could be shown, that would be the the ideal thing. But sometimes yeah. we don't get the ideal; we just get some tantalizing hint of what what really may have been the history. In that regard, they're also in Texas at a place called Paluxy. It was the Paluxy River. Yeah, right, right. And there they found uh, footprints of dinosaurs in the limestone rock, you know, about 100 million years old or right. so. And aside, alongside some of these dinosaur tracks were human footprints. So the standard idea is that, no, those are just natural formations. You know, like the rock is eroded a little bit, and it looks like a human footprint, but it's not. You know, that's usually how it's explained. So once... Uh, a graduate student of archaeology in Texas got in touch with me and asked if uh, 
she could be of help in any of the research I was doing. I said, well, you know, you're in Texas. Why don't you go to that Paluxy River place? And as an archaeology graduate student, you know, let me know your opinion of it. Because the reason I was curious about it is I was aware of the that case, but I didn't include it in my book, Forbidden Archaeology, because the scientist who originally reported uh, a Christian creationist uh, scientist, uh, Dr. Henry Morris Jr., I think it was, uh, he uh, he had publicized them and written about them, saying they were genuine, but later he changed his mind and decided, well, they look like human footprints, but they're really not. You know, it's just because of the erosion and the discoloration of the rock. And so on that basis, since he had backtracked, you could say, I, I thought, okay, I'll just keep this aside. So I asked this student to go there and, you know, from the standpoint of being an archaeologist, give her impressions. And, and she sent back a big report, you know, saying they appear to be genuine as far as she could tell. So, so that's evidence that humans existed at the time of the dinosaurs. And I think there's also evidence that humans existed before the time of the dinosaurs. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there's some strange anomalies there. And by the way, when you mentioned a creationist, I thought you were talking about Dr. Kent Hoven, by the way. Yeah, that a, he's a, a, another uh, creationist. I mean, I, yeah, he's a, another researcher in, in that. And I think, uh, I mean, how I relate with faculty, they tend to be most of them young Earth types. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Who say that the Earth is less than 10,000 years old. And I mean, the, how I relate to that is, I, I've told some of them. I've been on some of their media shows. Right. Uh, tell them, well, whether we think the Earth is a few billion or a few thousand years old, humans have been around since the beginning, and we didn't evolve from apes. Uh, and... On that basis, we can kind of agree on some things, and we just have to differ about the age of the Earth. Right, right. And like you said, Mr. Cremo, um, things work in cycles. And uh, who's to say that, um, you know, there there wasn't another cycle out there um, that we have uh, no knowledge about? That's a fact. That's the problem. That's the uh, conundrum. And uh, as um, we were just talking about here... It, in cycles, like you mentioned early on in the program here, what if I told you that I think we've already hit peak society and uh, just just in humanity in general, I think we sort of already reached the plateau 
And I think there's going to be another cycle of uh, destruction, maybe another flood. Who knows? But there is another sort of event coming. I sort of feel, Mr. Cremo, I'm not sure if you agree with me on that, but I definitely do I feel a cycle is coming. Yeah, I think, I mean, according to the Vedic cosmology, there's cycles within cycles within cycles. You know, like there's a, a big cycle where the universe is manifested and then goes into an unmanifest yeah, state. Yeah. In other words, it's created, it's destroyed. Destroyed, right. Although I I prefer the terms manifest and unmanifest. But uh, so there's that cycle. That's called uh, a day of Brahma in the mm. day cosmology and it lasts the whole cycle of a day and a night of Brahma. Maybe we could call about, it a maybe we could call it a recycling rather. Yeah, that's uh, eight point six billion years, and within that larger cycle, there's another cycle of Mandantars that each lasts about three hundred million years, and it kind of starts at the beginning of Brahma's day, which is about two billion years ago, and it, there's fourteen Mandantars. We're now in the seventh, and then between each one, there's a devastation. That was about every 300 million years, there's a, a big devastation that wipes out life on Earth. And then uh, after that devastation, the Earth is repopulated, kind of using... Uh, resources that are available on the next higher level of reality. It's almost like you know, people store their digital information, their songs, pictures, documents, in what they call the cloud. Yeah. So that when, if their phone or other device, phone or tablet is lost, then they can recover all their information. You know, they get uh, a new phone or a new tablet or a laptop or whatever, and just download everything again from from the cloud. So I think the universe is set up like that. There are personalities and resources at higher levels that retain the information and, and other necessities to kind of restore life on Earth when it, after these periodic devastations take place. So that that kind of huge demonstration, it occurs about once every 300 million years. We're about 180 million years, 120 million years uh, into the current Mandatar, according to the Vedic cosmological calendar. And that means the next big, huge devastation that will wipe out life on Earth is about 180 million years from now. So we've got some time. We've got some time, <laughs> yes. But, there's a, but within the Mandatar cycle, there's the cycle of the four yugas, which are called Satya, Treta, Dwapara, and Kali. And 
it's like the four seasons of the year. And Satya is like the spring. Trinko is like the summer. Dwapper is like the fall. Kali is like the, uh, the winter. In other words, the hard, difficult time. And according to the Vedic cosmological calendar, we're, we've just entered within the past few thousand years the Kali Yuga or the age of quarrel and hypocrisy and ever-increasing social and environmental disturbance. And we're just at the beginning of that phase. It lasts for another 427,000 years, and it'll kind of conclude in a kind of a mini-devastation. And then another uh, Sati Yuga, another golden age will come. And just like after every winter, there's another spring. Right, right. And uh, Mr. Cremo... So, so your intuition is correct. Uh, we're, yes. We're entering a very difficult time. And uh, Mr. Cremo, do you think we're going to be hit with another flood or an asteroid? Um, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, according to the Vedic text, it's... Uh, a flood. A flood, yeah. Some flood. Interesting. But, yeah, generally asteroids, comets, meteors are considered inauspicious signs that nothing good is going to happen. Yeah, I hear you. Nothing good is going to happen. And eventually, you know, uh, mankind will eventually have to leave this planet one day. Yes. Where we will go, I have no idea. But we definitely will be leaving this planet, I'm sure, in the future. Yeah. I mean, there are descriptions about what happens towards the end of the universe. I'm very fascinated by this, by the way. I don't, I don't know why, but I know it's not good to sort of um, skip through um, a book and go right t- towards the end, but... I mean, I, I am very, very fascinated what's going to happen with the demise of um, Earth. Yeah. Scary stuff. Yeah, in, in the 12th canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, there's a description of what happens at the end of the Kali Yuga. You know, it contains predictions of the gradual process of deterioration as you were suggesting right, that right. we started this phase of our our talk. Um, so Yeah, we'll find out soon uh, enough. My my guru actually said says hopefully my disciples will have like you said, leave this plane of reality and go to that higher plane before this Kali Yuga goes on much further because it's not going to be fun. Right, right. It won't be fun. It won't be fun. And um, luckily, we won't be around to um, experience it ourselves. But um, I hate, I, I mean, I, I would be lying, Mr. Cremo, if I said I did not want to be there for, for that event because I, I definitely would love to see it. And I mean that not in a negative way. I just am fascinated by that. Who wouldn't be? Yeah. Yeah. It- it is 
kind of fascinating to see the operation of the different forces there are in the universe. And there are times like earthquakes, I've been through earthquakes, hurricanes, things like that. I haven't been in a tornado, but yeah, when you see the forces of nature and operation in a way that's very destructive, it can be. I've been present for volcano eruptions. Yeah, that's, that's another, another mm-hmm. fascinating thing. Right. And by the way, going going back it's to according what, to the Oh, go ahead, Mr. Cremo, sorry. No, no, no. I I, I talk too much. <laughs> <laughs> I was just uh, backtracking to uh something that um I forgot to mention here before. The Zapata the Zapata print, by the way, the track discovered in New Mexico. The um it's a human footprint, by the way, discovered in New Mexico. Um, that apparently is uh, 299 million years old, by the way, they say. Yeah, I think I've heard of that. What is it called? The Zapata? The Zapata track, track, right. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that that case. Is it, I forget all the details about it. Is it one track or is it several? I think it might just be one. If I remember correctly, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've I've heard about that. I've read about it, but yeah, you know, yeah. The the details of the case aren't coming into my mind right at the moment. Yeah, don't worry. I I, I totally forgot about that until just right now, and I thought, oh, I should have mentioned that. But yeah, this is a uh, slightly interesting. I mean, humans weren't supposed to be around that time. No, definitely not. Three hundred million years ago, that yeah. would be. That's crazy. Towards the beginning of the time of the dinosaurs. It's um pretty frightening, and it just sort of solidifies the whole notion that humans are way older than what we are essentially taught by textbooks and the so-called experts. Yeah. Well, even if they're totally honest about the methodology that they're employing, they will say, and they do say often, we're not giving the absolute truth here, we're just, it could change in light of further evidence and things like that. So if they're really honest, all they can really say is, well, using what we consider to be the best evidence that we have, analyzing it, having our best people, you know, the best people in our profession, analyze it according to what we consider to be our best theories, we conclude that human beings have only been around for 300,000 years, but they can't honestly claim from their methodology that that's the absolute truth. Right, that right. could change. Yeah. So, now, I operate on the basis of a, a different knowledge system where I consider a kind of evidence that they don't consider to be evidence, and that is statements of the Vedic literature. Now... If I go to an archaeology conference, I can't 
expect them to accept a statement from the Vedic literature that human beings have been present for many millions of years. That's not evidence for them. But what I can do, and I have done, is to say, well, if I make it into a hypothesis, if what the Vedic texts say is true, then we should expect that in archaeology, if we look at the history of archaeology, we're going to find reports of archaeologists, geologists, and other scientists finding human bones, human artifacts, and human footprints many millions of years old. And if you actually look through the entire history of archaeology, you find I mean, from the hundreds of years ago up to the very present, there have been literally hundreds of such discoveries, enough to fill up a 900-page book like Forbidden Archaeology. And then it becomes a question, well, why is it that if these discoveries are there in the original scientific reports, why aren't they in the textbooks today? And the answer, the only answer that I can see to that is because of this process of knowledge filtration. If it doesn't fit the, the current theories, it gets set aside, forgotten, explained away in some very unsatisfactory manner. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It truly is. It truly is. And um, Mr. Cremo, I know we don't have uh, too much time here, but I did want to ask you uh, about about giants really quickly here. Uh, I accept that in the past, and maybe even at present, there, are, there have been or may still be giants. And by giants, I mean somebody 10 feet or more tall, because there are lots of people who are seven feet tall. Sure. Some of them are on the basketball teams. And there's even a, a few people on this planet who are eight feet tall, or maybe even one that is nine feet tall. Uh, but there's nobody around 10 feet tall or more. There are lots of reports of such things, but they tend not to be published in the professional scientific literature. They're more or less published in newspapers, newspapers and magazines, things like that. <clears throat> and it's also very difficult. I mean, although there are many accounts of such things being found, and placed in museums like the Smithsonian. If you go around today, it's very difficult, almost impossible, to find any of the physical remains of, of giants. Now, there is a, the most credible report that I found, which has some possibility of being corroborated, is a report from the uh, the early 20th century, around the time, you know, late uh, 
19th century, early 20th century, in a place called Castlemau in France. Mm. A, an anthropologist named Dr. Lapouge reported the discovery of large-sized human bones, not a complete skeleton, but a, a thigh bone and a humerus. Humerus is the upper arm bone in between the shoulder and the elbow. Um, he measured the size of the femur, and anthropologists can tell you from the length of the femur how big the person with a femur, a thigh of that size would have stood. And it was calculated the person that had this human femur was 11 feet tall. And there were photographs of the bones published in this scientifically scientific journal. And if it would be possible to locate in some museum in France any of these large-sized human bones, that might wind up being one of the first uh, well-documented cases of physical evidence for giants. Yes, it's pretty wild. And of course, in uh, the Bible, it even talks about giants. For those that are religious, um, you definitely get that um, that passage there. I think it might be uh, Genesis. I'm not sure exactly um, the whole quote, but I know they say there were giants in the earth in those days. Yeah. yeah. The ne yes, you do have the, you, you know, you have the Anunnaki, you have Goliath, the, the Cyclops, um, giants were all over the place. And um, there, there, there is evidence suggesting that giant humanoids did exist on Earth. It's pretty overwhelming. There's all sorts of articles from mainstream newspapers, um, all about a small town, small, you know, small towns discovering these giant skeletons during mound excavations. Uh huh. Well, it's even a part of just ordinary science that before 5,000 years ago, most living things were bigger than they are today. today. Right, right. Yeah, the bears were bigger, the elephants were bigger, the plants were bigger. Like in California here, we've got the California redwood trees, which I think are the largest living things on Earth. You know, 300 feet tall, you know, like pretty amazing thing, things. But many of them are thousands of years old, so I think those California redwood trees are a remnant from mm. the previous yeah. era when living things were larger, and I don't see any reason why the humans couldn't have been larger as well. Actually, in the Vedas, there's the story of the king, Muchukunda, who went to sleep in a cave a long, long time ago. And he's from the age when people were much bigger. So... When he was finally awoke and awakened uh, about 5,000 years ago, he 
went outside the cave and he saw that everything was smaller because as you enter the Kali Yuga, which we're in now, things get smaller and less well-developed. So he could tell, okay, I've woken up now. I could see what time it is in the cosmic sense of the word. This must be the Kali Yuga because everything looks all small and shriveled up. And in our paintings, you know, classical Indian paintings done of the scene where he's kind of like towering over everyone else as he walks out of the cave. So that's interesting. Oh, yes. It definitely is. And uh, Mr. Cremo, you know, I could talk to you for hours on end. And, uh, you know, right, uh, you know, as I close the show here, you know, I do have a few more questions to ask you. Just just a few more, not many, not many. But, you know, I did want to ask you about um, Bigfoot. Do, do you believe that uh, Bigfoot exists? Uh, yes, actually, in uh, Forbidden Archaeology, I have a whole chapter on evidence for living ape men. And mainly it takes the form of footprints, but there are other types of evidence as well, hairs and sightings and things of that sort. Uh, I think today on this planet, we've got human beings, we've got apes and monkeys that we're coexisting with, and apparently, we're also sharing this planet with creatures that somewhat resemble the ape men, like Australopithecus and Homo erectus that modern science talks about. So all three are coexisting on this planet at the present moment. And I think if we look at all of the evidence, we'll see that this coexistence was also there in the past, millions of years ago. Uh, yes, Australopithecus existed, this ape man. Uh, ancient apes and monkeys were there, but there were also humans like us in very ancient times. I think uh, what's happened is, is that modern science has, has edited the evidence they eliminated the evidence for a human presence in very ancient times to support their evolutionary theory of human origins, where Australopithecus turns into Homo erectus, which turns into Homo sapiens. I think if you look at all the evidence and not just the fragment of evidence that's there in the current textbooks, you'll see that the real pattern is one of coexistence rather than evolution. And uh, to add on to that, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the story of Zana, the Russian Neanderthal slave in the 1800s. I'm not sure if you are quite familiar I, with that. I cite that case. Oh, in, do you? Uh, in Forbidden Archaeology, in the chapter on evidence for living ape men. My and goodness. I, I, I don't even recall that. And I do have that book somewhere here in the house. I um, bought it a very long time ago. I, I completely forgot that you did actually mention that. Um, but yes, for those Maybe who... it's in your weight room. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
it's a pretty heavy book. It is. It is. It's a pretty, you, you know, you could probably paralyze someone with it if you threw it at them. Yeah. It's a massive book. Um, but yes, for those who don't know the story of Zana, definitely look into it here. I, I wish we could go over it, but I, I don't want to take up any more of your time, Mr. Cremo. It's always a honor and pleasure to have you here on the program. And uh, Mr. Cremo, I will leave you with the final word here. Go ahead and plug anything you like. But of course, if you have anything else to add here or say that you didn't get to when we first started this, please yeah. go ahead and um, let it all out here, Mr. Cremo. Well, uh, I invite people to visit my website, ncremo.com, N-C-R-E-M-O.com. There they can find uh, links to upcoming and archived podcasts and radio shows that I've appeared on. They'll also see the upcoming uh, talks like in March 2023. I'll be at the Biomed Expo in Los Angeles from the 24th to the 26th of March 2023. Uh, we've got early bird tickets available at reduced cost. And uh, on the website, they can also find information about obtaining some of my books. Like my latest published work is called My Science, My Religion. And it uh, goes over many of the topics that we talked about today. There's my book, Human Devolution, a basic alternative to Darwin's theory. Uh, there's also, of course, the original classic Forbidden Archaeology. So, and we have a, a special offer that if anyone purchases from my website, mcremo.com, a copy of My Science, My Religion, which shows how I integrate my spirituality with my science. Uh, they'll have the opportunity to also receive a free copy of Bhagavad Gita, one of the Vedic texts that have greatly inspired my my research and other work. So uh, I encourage any of the listeners to want to follow up on, on um, what we, we've said on the show here to visit that website, mcremo.com. Very nice. Once again, thank you so much, Mr. Cremo, for being a part of the program. Maybe I might uh, catch you in Los Angeles sometime uh, during this uh, presentation here. Yeah. Yeah, that would be that would be great. Yeah, I'll stop by if I can and uh, say hello to you in person, Mr. Cremo. Fantastic. Very nice. Once again, thank you so much, Mr. Cremo. We will talk again soon, my friend. Yes, right. that would be fine with me. You got it, my friend. Talk to you soon. Bye. Good night. And uh, there he goes, boys and girls. That was Mr. Michael Cremo. I hope you enjoyed that one. I mean, I really enjoyed that one. It's always pretty wild whenever I talk to Mr. Cremo. You know, as a child, I was watching that special that he was on, and I was blown away by all of it. All these things I had never heard of before. It was pretty wild. 
So I understand why now some folks that watched Graham Hancock's Netflix um, special there, they uh, probably freaked out some people out there that have never been exposed to these things. But for us, you know, that have sort of been through all this already many, many moons ago, uh, none of it is controversial or wild or crazy. These are just things that we had already acknowledged even way back then. But yes, once again, folks, I do thank all of you for being a part of the program and hanging out and sticking with me here tonight, even though there were some technical issues, which I'm still having right now. But uh, we'll fix all these things as we go along. But yes, once again, boys and girls, thanks for pressing play. I will return. I'll return for all of you um, rather soon. And uh, yes, for those that want bonus material, please go to patreon.com forward slash Michael Deacon. And uh, yes, that's where you'll find bonus content of the program. Definitely check that out if you can. Um, it will help me out for sure. It helps uh, keep the lights on. It helps buy new equipment when it is needed. And um, I hope I don't have to do that here tonight. I, I hope not. I, good Lord, I hope not. But yes, without you, this show is dead in the water. And I wish you all the very best, no matter where you are on this island Earth. Keep your heads above water, boys and girls. It's going to get uh, rough this next uh, year here. And we are pretty much close to the end of 2022. So definitely stay safe out there and uh, keep your heads up, like I said. And uh, my God, folks, who knows what's going to happen in 2023. Will the cycle be here? Will we have another flood on our hands like uh, the biblical flood? Um, this uh, story that we are all so familiar with, is that what's going to happen next year or the year after? Who the hell knows? It's all frightening and all rather interesting, boys and girls. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night everybody.